Welcome to this season of the Digital Orthopedics Podcast, where we bring you the audio files from the DocSF Experience 2022. I am Dr. Stefan Obini, your host for this podcast and the founder and chair of the Digital Orthopedics Conference San Francisco, otherwise known as DocSF. In this podcast, we'll be listening to the second lecture from our first section on the second day at DocSF. This is about financing the vision. After hearing from Bobby Samuel, VP of Engineering at Anthem, we thought it'd be really interesting to hear from someone looking at the issue of payment in healthcare systems from a completely different perspective. We were joined by John Bass from Hashed Health, a company which exists to improve and empower the health of individuals by creating the leading distributed ledger innovation firm in healthcare. In other words, they use blockchain. <laughs> the B word, as he'll tell you in a minute. Okay, let's join John on the DocSF stage, virtually. Good morning, DocSF. I'm John Bass. I'm the founder and CEO of Hashed Health. Hashed Health is a venture studio that focuses on innovation in healthcare and life sciences. Uh, We build startups that leverage Web3 technologies to introduce really innovative new business models to old healthcare challenges. Um, I've got a background in orthopedics and supply chain, uh, value-based payments. I was uh, originally, a um, uh, after spending some time at Vanderbilt University Medical Center, helped start a company called impacthealth.com that became, it was acquired by Global Healthcare Exchange, uh, and then helped start um, a company called InvivaLink that we sold to HCA that that focused on uh, orthopedic episodes of care and value-based payment uh, models. I am, uh, given my background in orthopedics, I'm I'm really distraught that I can't be in SF today to be with you all, but uh, I'm excited to share some of my thoughts with you on uh, the future of payments. And uh, I hope that this information is helpful um, and can help you think a little bit differently about, and perhaps a little bit more optimistically about the relationship between commerce and care. I was asked to specifically focus on answering two questions. Uh, what will payments look like in 2037? And paint a vision for uh, what that looks like and also talk a little bit about what new technologies might enable this new and more healthy relationship between commerce and care. Uh, So to start, let's talk a little bit about payments. As you all, I'm sure, are aware, uh, payments are a a complicated, costly, uh, inefficient part of the healthcare world that soaks up a lot of the value that uh, that uh, is created, and it's more than just you know moving money between one account and another, one business and another. There's a lot of other administratively challenging things that go into payments. There's transaction disputes. There's things like credentialing. You know, are are as a as a provider licensed to treat a patient and get paid for that treatment? Um, there's approval for services. There's insurance. There's fraud. And then you you know you add on kind of this uh, move towards value-based payments, and things get even more complicated because you're starting to fuse together the movement of money with clinical and environmental data that don't kind of naturally fit together very well. And whether you like it or not, payments, contracts, financial systems, banking, 
these kind of more transactionally oriented systems of record that we've built up over the years are a perhaps the defining the defining structure in healthcare. It, it, it you know our financial systems have a lot to do with organizational boundaries, with how we identify people and events, with how we govern uh, interactions between patients and businesses and how we guide our processes and our social interactions. And the systems and the processes we've built built up over time were designed for another age. They are not kind of in line with where the world's headed, Um, created a lot of dependencies on very administratively burdensome areas of healthcare, such as revenue cycle. Uh, You know, it's created a lot of it's created an addiction in healthcare to rebates and chargebacks and retrospective reconciliation. So, you know, I would argue that the system itself is working as designed and that design is costing us a a lot of inefficiencies. Uh, According to the 2020 CAQH index, we lost $16.3 billion in, in 2020 to revenue cycle inefficiencies. And, you know, in addition, you know, the traditional fee-for-service, there's a lot of challenges around access and outcomes and incentives, as you all know. And then, you know, if you try to move to value-based systems or risk-based systems, you know, we have a lot of challenges there as well. You know, we've got, over time, we've built these systems of record that treat banking data and clinical data and and transactional or claims data as three separate things. So they just don't fit together very well. And so everything uh, that we need to be harmonized is currently dislocated. And it's it's really hard to, uh, to, as a result, it's really hard to scale up kind of these payment, innovative payment models that we are banking on to be our savior in terms of where payments are headed. And, you know, the other thing I'd, I'd mention is that just generally there is a crisis of trust in healthcare that I think we're all familiar with. There's a lot of distrust between the general public and especially insurance companies, especially pharmaceutical companies. And I think some of this is pre-COVID. I think some of this has changed, but um, this is Edelman's trust barometer from, in, in basically um, 2020, 2021 is when this data uh, was collected. But there's a lot of trust issues between patients and and, uh, and physicians and physicians and patients, between physicians and the healthcare leadership, and between the general public and the institutions that are responsible for delivering and paying for care. And that affects some of the things that we are, are seeing and some of the ideas that we have around how to fix them. In addition uh, to that, you know, we're seeing a lot of major shifts um, in the healthcare environment coming out of COVID. There's an unbundling of care, which is where we're shifting from uh, traditional care delivery structures to more unbundled or community-focused or virtual or, or retail models. There's this uh, shift from fee-for-service to value-based payments. There is a shift in the gravity, kind of the center of gravity of data is shifting from traditional source systems of record, clinical setting to uh, newer, uh, less traditional uh, systems outside of the clinical setting. 
We're also seeing a recontouring of provider networks, virtual provider networks, borderless virtual networks. And there's a lot of emphasis on interoperability and automation. All these trends are were important before COVID and have been accelerated during COVID. And we're seeing a continuation of that acceleration um, as we start to move beyond COVID. And the good news is that there are a lot of new technical answers that provide hope for moving to this new world. And I'm going to talk about some of those technologies uh, here in just a minute. We're seeing a lot of signals outside of the healthcare around uh, Web3 um, technologies and primitives that allow us to start really innovating at a very basic level, at a foundational level around economics, uh, kind of some of the social structures that are involved in the delivery of care, and uh, certainly the technologies that we use to deliver and pay for care. And when I talk about Web3, you know, what that really means is kind of this new version of the internet that's organized around individuals rather than being organized around centralized companies. You know, a lot of people point towards Uber as an example of a Web2 company. And then a a version of Uber and Web3 would be a, a community of drivers that own the network and that are receiving the value uh, created by the network rather than Uber as a centralized organization extracting most of the value and kind of giving crumbs to the, uh, to the drivers. You can think of the same thing with Spotify, which currently soaks up most of the value that could be going back to the artists who are publishing their music on the platform. These Web3 architectures are generally based on open source software, and they're built by a community of contributors that are all governing and owning these platforms. So these platforms in the Web3 uh, world are owned and governed uh, by a network of uh, curators and um, artists or individuals who are responsible for the creation and the delivery of value through the platform. Um, And so all of this represents kind of this idea of community governance, community ownership, and and community access. And it represents a new way of thinking about how we bring together kind of social organizations or communities who are all aligned around a certain goal and then are all um, kind of um, uh, where where kind of the, the the idea of community is baked into the technical model and the business model. So when when we talk about Web3 systems, we're talking about kind of the, the, the sweet spot between a new technical model, an innovative new business model that is uniquely enabled by that technology and a community of people who are coming together to help um, create and govern that new company. Um, so that's why, you know, you oftentimes hear of uh, Web3 being referred to as the creator economy or the ownership economy, because we're we're taking kind of these advertising-based business models in Web2 and we're shifting them to decentralize them to a group of community members who are the ones who are actually creating all the value on the platform. And then, you know, how this is surfacing in the news is often through kind of these themes around DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, you know, the metaverse, 
crypto cryptography or cryptocurrencies. And so you're seeing, you know, a lot of investment going into Web3 architectures, um, Web3 companies. You're seeing a lot of big companies putting a lot of money into things like the metaverse, into uh, cryptocurrencies, into NFTs. Um, you've got, um, you know, these things like Board Ape Yacht Club, which is not only an, an NFT, but also a way to acquire this non-fungible token as access to a community of individuals who are all aligned around a certain kind of idea or certain goal. And uh, it's just a really fascinating space. And we can learn a lot about the future of healthcare through these new primitives that have been created uh, in Web3. So when we talk about non-fungible tokens, we're talking about unique ownable assets. Um, so when you buy a board ape or when you buy any kind of NFT, you may be buying, uh, you're buying a, a, an ownable, unique object that can serve as identity in a digital platform and gain access to a community, gain access to governance over the community's pool of funds that have been created through the sale of these NFTs. So think of NFTs as a unique, ownable digital asset that almost serves like identity in the metaverse. You can think about new types of asset exchanges where those NFTs or other digital assets are being traded between being traded or being exchanged or being tracked between counterparties who care about that digital asset. You can think about moving from traditional systems of record, which are centralized, like a uh, electronic health record or uh, an ERP system, to towards more decentralized systems of record that extend beyond the walls of an organization out into a community, and are being fed by multiple sources that could be clinical and financial and environmental sources, rather than kind of siloed to claims data, as an example. You can think about things like programmable value transfer, which is basically treating a, a cryptocurrency or a, a, um, a crypto asset, a digital asset, and programming the movement of that asset between counterparties so that value is transferred like soft, you know, based on software. It's programmable. Uh, and so you can start to you can start to code how money flows across a value chain, which is a really interesting new way of, of, uh, of moving value around based off of a, a shared source of truth for, uh, for data in healthcare. And then you can think about this idea of decentralized autonomous organizations where you know, there is no centralized company it is a community of people who are all aligned around a certain goal or a certain um, social initiative. And they are, as a community, governing that community. So no one can change the rules. No Web2 company can sell to like an insurance company. And then the rules change because a board of directors decided to change the rules. Um, the, the community itself is the one who uh, changes, you know, is only able to change the rules. And this is the way like Bitcoin works, as an example. Bitcoin is a good example of a, of a, of a decentralized autonomous organization with community governance.
And so these primitives are really important and uh, uh, enable a lot of really interesting innovation. And a lot of the reason why you're seeing so much investment in Web3 is because Web3 introduces these ideas of ownership and scarcity to the internet. And the Web3, you know, mashes up these economic and social and technical forces that are, you know, in terms of value creation, well beyond anything that the internet natively can deliver. So let me give you uh, an example of, of kind of a Web3 payment model that you could see in the future. So in this example, I'm going to talk about, let's talk about knee replacements. And we're going to talk about kind of a, 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 a decentralized marketplace and decentralized autonomous organizations as the buyers and sellers on that marketplace. So imagine a, a marketplace for non-fungible tokens, where that non-fungible token represents a uh, episode of care. And a seller, which could be a DAO, like a virtual network of providers, the best orthopedic surgeons across the United States get together and they decide they're going to sell knee replacements at, you know, $18,000. And they're going to package these, these knee replacements up with uh, specific terms and conditions with the provider's information and with a stop loss package. And they're going to drop these NFTs onto an exchange and they're going to sell, you know, 50 of them for their network. And then a group of 50 low-risk coordinated patients who are in a patient DAO buy those NFTs and promise to abide by those terms and conditions. They promise to be compliant and kind of the perfect patients. They're going to do all their preoperative joint classes. They're going to they're going to you know make their home safe. Uh, they're going to reduce their risk of falls. They're going to do it in an outpatient surgery center. They're going to go home after the procedure. And they're going to go to these three visits over the three months following surgery. And then they're going to go back to work. And, and so you've got this kind of seller provide a virtual network selling these non-fungible tokens. You've got this virtual network of, of uh, patients who are buying these NFTs and promising to abide by the terms and conditions of those. And you've got payment happening with a stable coin. So it's very efficient. There's no you know, bank sitting in the middle. And then you've got basically that patient's wallet is perhaps credited uh, with a certain amount of, of money. And that, but the balance in that wallet kind of goes up and down over time based off of that patient's compliance to the protocol and their activities and the behaviors that we're trying to incentivize. So that's the programmable value transfer piece is where it's, it's automatically moving money between uh, different wallets. So for example, the provider's wallet, uh, the patient's wallet and the payer's wallet as the episode unfolds. So that's a, that's an example, you know, what does this deliver? Well, there's no revenue cycle. Um, it creates predictability on both sides of the market. So the, 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 the buyers know what the cost of that treatment's going to be and the sellers are getting or know, know that they're going to get paid. So they're not losing a bunch of money to collections and the revenue cycle challenges. So it's very predictable for the, both the buyer and the seller. It's very patient centered. It's very rational. It's focused on, you know, it's, it's optimized for competition and choice 
and access and it's fully transparent and there's no fraud because we can track the movement of the digital asset from the seller to the buyer, to the point of care, et cetera. And so this is an example of a fairly simplified marketplace structure and payment structure that I think in a lot of ways reduces a lot of the traditional challenges that we face with our traditional system where we built up all this administrative complexity and burden. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an example of what you could see down the road. It's been a pleasure sharing my thoughts with you. I, I, I'm truly sorry that I can't be there in SF. And I really hope that the rest of your meetings go well over the remainder of your conference. If you have any questions or would like to chat further on any of these things, these are things that we're working on at Hashed. And I know there are a lot of other people out there, really talented teams working on similar uh, initiatives. But feel free to reach out to me on Twitter or you can email me at jbass at hashdolf.com. Thanks a lot for your time. I hope you have a great conference. Take care. That was such an extraordinary session. I think that we so many ideas came up with that would come back and just take a minute to yeah, tackle to some it. of those thoughts because normally we'd go on to the next talk, but... Yeah, uh, and, and first of all, I hope all those notifications, he was able to answer them. At some point. Busy <laughs> guy, even though he's got COVID. <laughs> yeah, so... As I was listening to that, one of the things that is so exciting to me, this year at South by Southwest, Dolly Parton performed, and she did all of that through the metaverse, and she had NFTs there. So when he's talking about Web 3.0 and it being the creators and it being those networks of providers that have the ability to more closely transact, you know, they move closer to that transaction. The other thing that was really fun, too, that um, when we talk about the future of work, there's so many companies now that are creating platforms, business platforms to engage for what we refer to as the deskless workers. So that is, you know, the people, that, that's us. That's what we do. So I'm, I have so many questions for him. But when you're listening to John, what is it that gets you like really excited to see this technology can solve the problems? And this is what the, the fact is, this is it. This is coming. So this is going to be 2037. Just like in the video, we said, Healthcare, healthcare didn't change it. The world changed and healthcare went along with it. So how is healthcare going along with this and being part of it? will go along with it. Yeah. Yeah. How will we? Absolutely. So incredible new technology solving a problem. What what I really liked about that presentation looking to 2037 was the interface between NFT, blockchain, and actual delivery of care using the example of total knee replacement. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of questions come into my mind about this. I mean, he was describing qualified group of providers. He was describing a qualified group of purchasers. You need scale so that you can mitigate risk. If you're a purchaser and you know you've got risk factors, you go to the marketplace, you've got an advantage, right? Because there's a defined price. How does that work? But what if that defined group of purchasers that come in to buy, you know all about them. You know, you know you have access to and they can share with you their entire health record. And Yeah, and well, that's my AI point. You would that need that. The risk. And then the system is automated. It would, you would need to share that. The other thing that came to my mind in that was he mentioned that, that payers remained in that, that milieu. Yeah, Bobby, why? I was going to say, I was wondering when why? I was listening, I'm thinking, what does Bobby, you know, what is Anthem's response to that? Yeah, good, good point. I think Bobby had to leave. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure where Bobby's he is. Bobby's not here. So, one of the 
values as I understand it of NFT and blockchain is you you don't need that component. I'm I'm probably missing something. I'm sure there are different no, perspectives actually, on that. Yeah, you're not. I'm just gonna say that has been the real promise and the hope is that we put the the relationships, and as Bobby was mentioning, having it be the relationships, we move that closer and the transactions just become that's what needs to happen in order to have that relationship facilitated, to have those services happen. So um, it is, like I said, um, I think one of the other places where we're going to see this and where healthcare is going to learn is over in the creative industry. Time has already taken a huge position on this. That is how they're going to work with their reporters, their photographers, their cartoonists. They are, they're leading. So there are a lot of ways that we're going to be learning from. I will ask you, because I'll, I'll admit, it feels overwhelming and scary from the standpoint of what is this NFT? Like, how do I make this work? How do we approach this with enthusiasm and humility and a willingness to learn as opposed to, I don't want to, I don't want to do this because I might look like I don't know what I'm doing. My reaction to that would be, we have to embrace it, but we have to get our, put our toe in the water, do it with a defined episode of care, like knee replacement or like yeah. cataract surgery, yeah. or you, you name it. There, there are some defined parts of healthcare where this could be tested. That would seem to me to be how we would embark on this journey. Absolutely. And there was a really good question from the audience here asking about privacy. privacy, huge issue. And the promise and the hope of a lot of this is that as we have um, a better, we'll say control of our data, we can have different permission levels about how we want to show it. So one of the things that John was talking about is that your identity, that um, being able to be on the web 3.0, you actually have control of that identity. And so there are portions of that that you're going to show to your children or to your provider or to your spouse or to your, your workplace that you wouldn't show to others. And right now you just don't have control over that. So it's a major issue. Yeah. And that's one of the hopes is that privacy will improve. But we will talk about the, the potentially nefarious dark side of that a little bit later. There's because always that, a dark there's side. There's a lot of questions <laughs> about whether that will be possible or possible. What could possibly plausible. go wrong? Yeah. Uh, we'll, uh, yes. Puns, and we'll, yeah. we'll address that. We're not going to shy away from that discussion yeah. a little bit later in the conversation. Thank you so, both. Thank you, Dr. Vale. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed this presentation and will consider joining us live in San Francisco for DocSF 2023, when we will explore how digital technologies will enhance, support, and enable the expansion of the outpatient surgery arena. Register now to join our mailing list at docsf.health, docsf.health, and be the first to access our limited tickets. DocSF, join the revolution.